As we come to the Word this day, I invite you to begin with me in Hebrews 11. We've been doing this series on the life of faith, and Hebrews 11, we haven't made a center point of that particular series, but uh, definitely mentioned it on various occasions. I'd like to start there this morning as we consider faith and the joy of this life of faith that we have because of something that we might not um, quickly think of when we think of the idea of the life of faith. And as a way of introducing that, let us note that Hebrews 11 begins and ends with uh, reasons for joy as we think of this life of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. So faith looks forward even as it looks forward, not with assurances that have been seen, that have been already experienced, but rather with assurances that are assurances built on what we know of God and his character and what he has done and the ways that he has worked with his people in decades, yea, even millennia, not just centuries, but millennia past. And so... The faith that pleases the Lord is a faith that is hoping, a faith that is rejoicing in hope. And that is a faith that rejoices in hope even as it has not come to its completion, which is the point of hope. Hope is future expectation of the confident assurance of God's promises. And so as you come to the end of Hebrews 11, after the writer of the letter of Hebrews, this sermon as it were, after he expounds upon many of the saints who have trusted the Lord and shown their faith to be a living faith in many ways, he says in verse 39, in all these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect, matured. God had set before even the Old Testament saints a future promise, which is the promise that they will join with us in rejoicing in. They have not yet had the fulfillment of their promises. They will, with us, have the fulfillment of their promises. Gaining approval through their faith, even though they did not receive as of yet, in their day, they did not receive what was promised. But that all assumes that their hope is grounded on what? What God has said. What God 
has given in his word. Which is to say, what God has promised. Chapter 12 continues this theme of faith by referring to the whole of chapter 11 in that first verse. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, those lives of faith, those who have put their hope in God and lived according to that hope. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The life of faith calls us to ongoing faith. The life of faith calls us to ongoing obedience. We know that this is the life of faith because of verse 2. We persevere, running unencumbered, seeking to serve our Lord unshackled by any of the earthly things which might slow us down in that race. How? Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. The author, the one who's begun and the one who perfects, who brings the victory of faith. We are keen, I think, to recognize that Jesus is related to faith because he is the one in whom we hope. He's the one to whom we look. The assurance of things hoped for. And what is one of those great assurances of things that we hope for? It was actually the theme of our conference that Elaine and I were able to be at. The blessed hope. Which is to say, what we look forward to, among many other things, but one of the great things that we look forward to is Christ coming again. And so we recognize that assurance of things hoped for includes our assurance that Christ will come again. And we look forward with expectation, with joy to that hope being a reality, that hope being a blessing that we know it will be. Jesus is the one to whom I think the end of Hebrews 11 points as it speaks of those who have gained approval through their faith, but did not receive what was promised. What is among the greatest of the promises that the Old Testament saints looked forward to? The promise of a Messiah. None other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So we understand that faith has to be connected to Jesus. Chapter 12, those first two verses, if Jesus is the author of our faith, he's the one who brings about faith in our lives. He's the one who begins that, that, uh, that faith, that trust, that hope in him, which rests in him. He's the one who authors it, and he's the one who perfects it. 
He's the one who sanctifies and grows that faith. So yea, though, even it were uh, the size of a mustard seed and could do such great and amazing things as even faith the size of a mustard seed will do, that faith God has through Christ worked in our hearts to be growing. Ours is not a stagnant faith. Ours is not a withering faith. Ours is a growing faith. Why? Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. These things, I think, we readily recognize Jesus and his connection to faith in. But I would argue, and I would encourage us to think this morning, that not only in these ways is Jesus related to our faith, but further, that Jesus is himself an example of faith. An example of faith. And is this that I would like to show for us, especially as we consider Jesus' prayer uh, as he goes to the Mount of Olives and prays there in Gethsemane. But as we consider other things as well, but especially that, um, I'd like to show forth that Jesus is an example of faith. And we can follow in his faith, even as we consider how he has demonstrated faith. Faith in his Father. Faith in the one true God. Faith in the promises that God had made to him. Let us look to these themes, but before we do, let us bow once more in prayer. Lord, we speak from our hearts the words of someone who understood who your son was and someone who also understood the weakness and frailty of our human heart. We speak with him these words. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, grow us in faith even this morning as we consider your Son, our blessed hope, as the one who is an example of faith. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you're very much unlike me in this, but sometimes as I'm reading through the scriptures, I come to portions that are really curious, maybe even confusing, don't make a lot of sense. Um, And I was reading even yesterday, uh, the end of John, and as I was reading the end of John, I came uh, to a few of those particular passages. You remember the Roman soldiers, they come to arrest Jesus, and in John, it records that Jesus says, I 
Am, and what happens to the soldiers? They fall down flat. And you know what's amazing to me? What doesn't make sense? Like from a human perspective, how does this, how does this fit with anything that's realistic? After they fall down flat because of him saying I am, they go on with arresting him. They actually put him under arrest after that happens. That's John 18, uh, John uh, uh, 18, the beginning of, of that, that chapter. Later on, another, uh, another incongruence in the scriptures that uh, it's mind-boggling how it all works and how, how people would think. But uh, after uh, Jesus has been, uh, tr- the trials that the uh, Jews want to put him through, they want to bring false accusations against Jesus, after they, uh, after they have lack of success, then they're going to take him to Pilate. And so John eighteen twenty eight says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. They're, they're concerned not to be associating with Gentiles. They don't want to be defiled because being defiled would lead to them not being able to eat the Passover. But what are they going to do? They're going to turn Jesus over to Pilate so that he would be killed. Let's be concerned about eating the Passover. Let's kill Jesus. Does that make any sense? Right? Uh, This does not add up. Let's, Let's be concerned about the letter of the law and let's forget about the giver of the law, Jesus. Um. But these incongruities, they have as their backdrop the fact that they're about humans. And as we consider sinful humans, we recognize that sinful humans, when you add up the path of life that they live, sinful humans will do lots of things that don't make sense. Because they're living in their sin. They're living according to sinful appetites, sinful desires. But then there are other things in the scriptures which are harder to understand, which are sometimes baffling. One minor example would be, again, reading the end of uh, John, uh, John 17 and verse 19, when Jesus is praying, Jesus prays, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And just reading on the surface of that, how can the one who is perfect be sanctified? Right? Or, Uh, We think of the early portions of uh, Matthew and Luke, especially Luke. Uh, Jesus, who we know is God in flesh, it says that he grew in knowledge and in favor with God and man. Well, if he's God, then how can he be knowing something more than he didn't previously know? 
right? And we understand that there are rather simple ways of, of explaining that, and yet still they, they, they twist the circuits in our minds uh, that God in Jesus, uh, Jesus as man growing in sanctification, Jesus as man growing in knowledge, Jesus as God knowing all things, Jesus as God never growing in any a way that we would uh, reflect humanly. Uh, but these, uh, these uh, complexities, uh, they probably stand amidst the kinds of complexities as we consider Jesus that we would think of when we think of Jesus as an example of our faith. We think readily of Jesus as the object of our faith. He is the one in whom we trust, But how could Jesus, who is sinless, how could he have faith? And how could he show faith? And it's to this theme that I would like to turn. The simple answer to that is that Jesus is an example to faith for, uh, in faith for us, but an example not of that which uh, is reflective of our sinfulness, but is an example of humans apart from sin. Jesus being the sinless, blameless one, he is the perfect example of the kind of thing that faith looks like when it's separated from sin and separated from a sin, uh, a sin uh, desire. And this is the circumstance of, uh, that we come into as we consider Jesus as our example of faith. Matthew 26, if you want to turn to Mark 14, I'm going to go to some of the parallel passages. But Mark 14, I'll get to verse 36 and other verses there in a, in a moment, but... Matthew records in the 26th chapter how that Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives and he tells the uh, apostles that they will be scattered. Peter affirms that he will never fall away. Um, Even if everyone else falls away, Jesus says that this will happen true t- uh, three times, even before the rooster crows. Peter responds, uh, the, the, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane and goes to the place of prayer. And this is Matthew's uh, wording of the prayers that he prayed. This is Matthew 26 and verse 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then a little later on, in verse 42, it appears as though Christ has come to the full conviction that God is not going to let this pass from him, but God is going to sustain and take him through this 
trial. And so he prays in verse 42, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Luke records in Luke 22 and verse number 42, Jesus' prayer. Uh, Luke's account of uh, Jesus' prayer before the betrayal is an account which is interesting because it's the only um, one of the accounts in the synoptics that uh, that mentions the exhortation that Jesus uh, gives to the apostles to fight temptation with prayer. Fight temptation with prayer. And Luke is also interesting as compared to the other two synoptics because uh, Luke is significantly shorter in his summary of the account. But this is the wording that we find in Luke as Jesus prays. Luke 22 and verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Here, Jesus is trusting his father that what his will is, that is what's best. Jesus is trusting his father that what his will is, that is what he will do. Mark, you're in Mark 14. I'm going to join you there, Mark 14. Mark records the account of the circumstances is in Gethsemane beginning in verse 32. And I'd like uh, to read the, the passage so that we have the whole of, uh, the whole of the prayer account of Jesus in Gethsemane. I'm going to leave off before the actual, the actual betrayal, but uh, Luke, or sorry, Mark 14 beginning in verse 32. They came to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, and not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, 
Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Here I find we, I think we find two ways in which Jesus is an example of faith in his humility and uh, understanding of the Father and in his submission to the Father. First, his humility, or as I would uh, encourage us to think of patterning our lives after Christ's example of faith, uh, humility and awe, humility and awe. Here, as you come to this verse, which speaks of Jesus so concisely praying and pouring out his heart to his father, verse 36, we read, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. I think we see Jesus' humility in two ways here, the beginning of this verse. We see Jesus' humility in addressing his father as Abba, Father. This is a, this is a, this, these words are words of uh, heartfelt, um, passionate recognition of who the Father is. Not, not just the Father, but the Father who cares. And it's looking to God as the Father that Jesus is recorded uh, as doing in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Abba, Father. Jesus understands himself as the Son. Jesus understands that he's talking to his Father. Jesus understands who his Father is in relationship to himself. And this this does show a great distinction between Jesus' faith and our faith. Our faith is faulty and frail uh, in part because of our sinfulness, but also in part because of how little well uh, known to us God is. Whereas for Jesus, just imagine... Him trying to not trust in his father. Imagine not a thousand years, not a million years, not a million times a million years of existence with his father alongside of his father to speak in human terms. Imagine eternity with God. And in in that eternity with God, Does Jesus come to understand who his father is? Obviously. You can't spend forever with someone and not know them. Jesus understands who his father is in relationship to himself. He understands the character of God more perfectly than we can imagine being God. 
And so his faith doesn't have the wobbliness that our faith sometimes has. Will, will God make a plan and then not follow through with that plan? Jesus knows the sure answer to that. We sometimes are wishy-washy on the answer. Will God create a world with the intention of bringing some to eternal life and then not bring that plan about? Jesus fully knows who his father is. And he comes as a son And so he speaks uh, these encouraging and blessed words of a son, father. The words that even a daughter would say with tenderness. Father. Here, Jesus comes as the Son, looking to God as Abba, Father. But we see his humility, not only in recognizing his position before, um, before the Father, but also we see something of his humility, understanding uh, God's ability, God's ability All things are possible from you. Now, what Jesus wants or what he desires is to have the cup removed. But as he's desiring this, he recognizes that all things are possible with God. With God, uh, the, the only things that cannot be done are things related to changing his character things related to wickedness and sin, things related to changing who he is. The scriptures are replete with this kind of language speaking about God. Mark 10, the disciples failing, if I remember the the context here, the disciples failing in uh, helping another person, Jesus says to them, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Luke, when Mary looks to um, what God is going to do, bringing this babe into her womb in miraculous ways, Luke records, for nothing will be impossible with God. Or later, Luke 18, 27, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. This is in keeping with the Old Testament testimony to who God is. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What is God able to do? All things. Not some subset of things which might be done, but all things. Even as we sang this morning, the infinity of our God being pointed to. Jeremiah uh, encourages 
the people who are rebelling against God to think of the God against whom they are rebelling. Ah, Lord God, this is Jeremiah 32, 17. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. One word. And the worlds exist. Oh, but, but, a, but a word and light comes into being. That's the God who has power to do all things. Ten verses later, Jeremiah records, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? When we stand in humility before God, we have to remember the human God distinction. The creator-creation distinction. We are so unable to do things. Sometimes we struggle with tying our own shoelaces. God able to do everything. And what does Jesus acknowledge in just this brief little section of this brief prayer? Jesus acknowledges that God is God. There should be some awe there. There should be some humility there. Jesus' faith, it is a humble faith. God is able to do everything. That which is wicked excluded. The second way in which we see a perfect faith put on display in Jesus' example, coming with trust before his God here in prayer, is not only humility, but in submission. The submission of Jesus. Luke, I'll just make allusion to this. Luke, when he's recording uh, this uh, prayer account, Jesus in Gethsemane. Luke, when he's recorded uh, that there, um, he, he makes it clear that the theme of the verses, verses uh, 39 through 46, the theme of those verses is prayer. His prayer. Words relating to prayer occur in Luke 22, 40, 41, 44, 45, and 46. Jesus is coming, asking, beseeching. He's submitting himself by prayer to his Father. I believe that this points to the important connection between prayer and submission. What is it that Jesus prays? Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus comes in submission to God in prayer. 
not uh, pushing his way in into the throne room and barging in and demanding, but submissively coming before God in prayer. Recognizing who God is, he comes humbly. Recognizing God's perfection of his plan, he comes submissively. This has been a constant theme of God, of Jesus, uh, who is God. Uh, Jesus in his earthly ministry, that as he goes through his life, he's going to submit to the Father, which makes clear that he's going to obey the Father. Uh, John is replete with these examples. John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Submission. John 5.30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Submission. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Submission. John 14.31 What is Jesus doing? Why is he doing what he's doing? So that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Jesus shows his submission to the Father in perfect ways. Not in the blemished ways the spotty ways that we show our submission, but in perfect submission, which means obedience. It means coming to God in prayer and submitting our will to God's will. And Jesus so clearly does that here. Now we might think in terms of theological Uh, questions and wonder, well, how can uh, Jesus have a different will than the Father has? And I think that the answer to the question here, as you consider this and the other synoptics on the question, the answer to the question here is that this is Jesus speaking as a human, relaying his desires as a human. He's, He's not seeking to go contrary to what God has ordained. In fact, he makes very clear that he's going to do exactly what God desires. So I think the as, as God has made it clear that the, the cup uh, which would bring salvation to all men, uh, the drinking of that cup, which is Old Testament language to speak of the wrath of God against sin, as uh, he looks to that uh, wrath of God being poured out out on himself, he he willingly submits to what the Father would have for him. But in his humanity, he recognizes this is no easy path. The Son of God's love must drink the cup of God's wrath. I thought Dale Davis said it so well there, commentating, the son of God's love must drink the cup of God's wrath. 
And so from a human perspective, we can understand the anguish, the grief. Why Luke records drops of blood. But there's no conflict between what God has decreed and the will that Jesus desires. One of the um, other commentators said it uh, this way, God desires all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 And thus desired this cup to be taken by his Son. There was no conflict in the divine decree or the ultimate will of the Godhead. The statement indicated the personal preference of the Lord, which he, as an example for all God's servants, surrendered to the ultimate will of God. Meyer, another commentator, states it well. The wish to which in his human dread of suffering he gave utterance, that if possible, he should not be called upon to endure it, at once gives place to absolute submission. Jesus submits himself to the Father, humbling himself, coming in submission to the will of the Father. And this this does point out to us uh, something that's helpful for us, even as we submit ourselves to the will of the Father. It is not always God's will for godly people to get their prayers answered in the way that they would desire. So the fact that you don't have your answer as to prayer according to your initial desires, that does not say anything about the rightness or wrongness of your prayer. Jesus is a just a stellar example of that right here. Might we be faithful in trusting God in prayer, going to him, submitting to him, uh, humble before him, uh, even as we uh, faithfully pray, uh, understanding that uh, we do not, uh, because we have uh, things that God answers totally different than we hoped for, uh, we do not um, run the risk of uh, having our, our prayers be evaluated as faulty. Might we recognize Jesus' absolute submission um, here. First Peter speaks of this kind of submission. First Peter 3 and verse 17, not of Jesus' submission, but of ours. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if God wills it, than for doing evil. And here is Jesus a perfect example of suffering blamelessly because God willed it, submitting himself to God's will. James says it well. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can we follow Jesus' example of faith? We can. We will not do it perfectly, but we can be humble before our God. 
trusting Him with humility. And we can be submissive before our God, trusting Him in our obedience, in our resting in His path for us, no matter what that path brings. Might we rejoice to know that it is appropriate and good and faith-building to pray? Not what I will, but what you will. I pray that you be encouraged even as we go forth from here to be trusting God in prayer, trusting God, putting your faith in God as Jesus examples here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to show our faith in our prayer. I pray that you would strengthen us to have the kind of humility and submission that our blessed Savior had. We pray because of his all-powerful name. Amen.